Thank you. Amen. What a blessing it is to be here tonight. I appreciate this opportunity. I'm excited what the Lord is doing here in this church and uh, how God is using your pastor and his family. And uh, I know that he's grateful and thankful that you're here tonight. And I'm glad you're here tonight. My name is Ben Graham. Uh, I was born in Illinois, but we uh, moved to Arkansas when I was about eight years old. My dad started pastoring down there. And uh, I'm thankful for my family. Uh, I was uh, raised, of course, in church all my life. I was in church uh, four days after I was born. Uh, my grandpa's camp meeting was going on. And uh, so uh, on the fourth day, I got out of the hospital that morning. Uh, and we went to church that night. Amen. And so I've been in church all my life. I mean, uh, I remember when I was 12 years old, uh, I got to thinking, boy, I, I don't want to go to church today. I, I'm going to skip church. Now, I'm smart enough to know better than to tell my parents that. So I was trying to think of a clever way how I could get out of going to church. And I remember I went to my mom, 12 years old, I said, Mom, I can't go to church today. I'm feeling sick. And mom said, have you thrown up? <laughs> I said, Mom, people die and don't throw up. What's it have to do with anything? Amen. And I said, no, ma'am, I hadn't. She said, you're not that sick. Let's go to church. Well, all week long, I was mad. I said, I'm going to be the only kid that never got to skip church once. And so all week long, I tried to think of a clever way to get out of church. You know, when you're 12, it takes about a week to get a good idea. Amen. And the, the next Sunday rolled around and I went to mom and I said, Mom, I cannot go to church today. I am feeling so sick. My mom said, have you thrown up? And I said, yes, ma'am, I have. She said, don't you feel better now? Let's go to church. Amen. And my parents had this attitude. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Amen. But I'm glad there came a point in my life where I didn't have to go to church. I didn't have to serve the Lord. I wanted to. You say, what happened? I got saved. Amen. And what a difference Christ can make. I got saved when I was 14 years old. And I'm thankful He saved me. A few months later, I surrendered to preach. Preached the next day. I surrendered at a youth camp. And the next day they were letting some preacher boys preach. So I got up there and I preached. And they gave each preacher boy five minutes. I only preached three minutes in about 20 seconds. It's been my most requested sermon. Amen. And uh, not because of what I said. People just like the length of that one. Amen. And uh, But anyhow, uh, a couple weeks later I was with my dad. We were going to a preacher's meeting. And uh, kind of a well-known preacher was preaching that night. And Dad said, oh, you better be ready. They might call you to preach. And I said, Dad, Dad, that's funny. Good one. And uh, we got there and about 800 people at this meeting. About 150 preachers there. A lot of preachers. And uh, the guy... Uh, the pastor, the host pastor said, before we have our main speaker come up, he said, I've heard Brother Graham's son surrender to preach. He said, would you come preach for 15 minutes? <laughs> and then he said, I'm sorry, I don't mean to limit you to 15 minutes, but we want to give our main speaker plenty of time. Well, can I say as a 14-year-old boy who had just been preaching for a couple of weeks, 15 minutes was an eternity. Amen. Especially to all these preachers. And I preached the only thing I could think of. If you don't get saved, you're going to go to hell. Amen. And uh, we didn't have any preachers get saved, but uh, at least they heard the gospel that night. Amen. And uh, But what a blessing that was. And God has opened many doors. Uh, we've been in full time ministry now 15 years and I mentioned real quick of course I'm thankful for my wife Candace. I met her on a deer hunting trip amen so you know God was in on that my in-laws own an orchard out of Missouri and invited my dad and a couple other preachers to go hunting 
And my dad took me, and boy, I got me a deer, amen. I got me a D-E-A-R, amen. And I'm thankful for my wife, and we have four boys. Uh, Jordan is 12. That's how I know it takes about a week for a 12-year-old, amen. Uh, Zachary's nine. Carson is three, and Cooper's two, and we're thankful for our boys. And I wish they could be here tonight. They're uh, in Missouri with my in-laws. Don't get to be there very often, and so they're getting to spend a little time with them. But uh, we've been in the ministry of pastored for about nine years and been in evangelism for about four of those years, and we're thankful uh, for God's calling in our life. Several months ago, I began to pray. We were uh, had moved to Tennessee to take over a church. The pastor was going to be retiring. And I went and talked to him, and I said, I just don't know... Uh, but I believe God's opening a door, maybe leading us somewhere else. And we talked, and He said, let's pray about it. And I talked to Him about uh, just what the Lord might have us to do. A few weeks before that, maybe about a month before that, uh, I really began to pray about starting a church in Nashville, Tennessee. And so I very quietly didn't tell my wife, I didn't tell anybody, just began to look at the area and see what was there. Uh, I've had the privilege of preaching all over, especially uh, in a lot of places in Tennessee, but I didn't know of any uh, good fundamental independent Baptist churches there. And so I began to pray and and, uh, look and see what was there. And uh, I went to make a hospital visit in the area where we were living in Knoxville, and I went to see a guy, and I couldn't see him, but his his brother-in-law and his uh, sister was there. And began to talk to him, and they told me they live in Nashville, Tennessee, and and uh, we talked for a little while, and they asked if I'd ever preached there, and I said no, I didn't even know any churches there, and I, uh, they told me the area they lived, asked if I'd ever been there, and I said, well, I've been to your area, just traveling through, and uh, I'll never forget, the lady said, well, she said, I, I, I don't know what your plans are, I know you work at Mount Pisgah, she said, but if you ever thought about starting a church, she said, Nashville is a needed area. Well, I hadn't even mentioned anything about Nashville. And I didn't say anything. I finished talking, walked out, and just kind of smirked a little bit. And I said, well, Lord, that's interesting that she would say that. Well, two weeks later, we were driving uh, through Nashville. And while we were driving, hadn't mentioned anything to my wife. My wife looked at me and she said, have you ever thought about starting a church in Nashville, Tennessee? (laughs) And I said, maybe. (laughs) Couldn't lie to her, amen. And God just began to put things in place. Somebody says, why start a church in America? And of course, I know this is a, a fairly new church. And uh, so church planning is obviously fresh on your minds, at least on your pastor's heart. But somebody says, why plant a church in America? Well, in 1900, there was 27 churches for every 10,000 Americans. In 1950, they said there was about 21 churches for every 10,000 Americans. In 1996, there was 11 churches for every 10,000 Americans. And they said right now there's just a little over seven churches for every 10,000 Americans. So we see churches on the decline instead of the incline. I read in the Bible that we're to be in church, especially as we see the day approaching when Jesus Christ is coming again. And I believe He could come at any moment. And boy, now more than ever, we need to have strong Bible-preaching, Bible-teaching churches. And so there's a great need. Somebody says, why would you go to Nashville? After all, isn't Nashville part of the Bible Belt? Matter of fact, Nashville is known as the buckle of the Bible Belt. In our local paper there, the Tennessean, they had an article a while back that said out of the 1.6 million people living in the Nashville metro area, said only 49% of the people claim to go to church one time in a month. And this is what the secular paper said. said out of all these people living here, the buckle of the Bible Belt, they said how sad it is, but we're considered that when so few people go to church. That's what they said. 
And I thought, man, if the, if the secular newspaper realizes the need, surely God's people ought to see the need. Amen. And there's a great need in our area. We're excited. We've already found a building to meet in. Uh, normally, this building would be about $2,000 a month. And we found a building, an older preacher, an older the man was living there, feeling the burden to start a church in Nashville. He began to get things ready for starting a church. And his wife got real sick and he wasn't able to do anything with it. And the building's been sitting there for several months. And uh, the people that own it said, we want a church here. And said, i tell you what we'll do. We'll give it to you for $750 a month. And that's a great blessing being right there in the middle of Nashville. And we're very thankful for that. It's a great location. And God has blessed. And so we about three weeks ago, we got out on the road as we are doing tonight and began just to go to churches, uh, let them know what we're doing, asking them, of course, first off, to pray for us. Somebody says, all I can do is pray for you. Well, let me say, that's the best thing you can do is to pray for us. And we have a prayer card on the back table. I encourage you to get that and and please pray for us. We desperately need your prayers. But then we're also seeking to raise some support. And uh, our goal, Lord willing, is to move there the first week in December. And uh, we're excited about getting there. We're anxious to get there. And so we've got several more weeks of meetings. And then Lord willing, we'll be there. And we're looking forward to getting there. And I want to say I appreciate the opportunity to be here tonight. I appreciate your pastor. A lot of memories I, I was thinking on the way in today of several uh, several memories, uh, some funny stories, and uh, nothing bad about your pastor, amen. And uh, you you know you got to understand any guy that has all sisters is going to be a little damaged, amen. I don't know if I need this or not because but I'm going to move around a little bit, so I hold it. Is that all right? But uh, any guy with all sisters, you know, he's got to be a little damaged, amen. And uh, so we definitely uh, have prayed for him. But I was thinking about some of the home videos that we have at Grandma and Grandpa's, and uh, what a blessing those are. And uh, it's amazing, uh, if you watch those, you would have never guessed God would have called any of us to preach, amen? Uh, you would have thought God could never do anything with those little brats, amen? But uh, I'm thankful uh, out of, uh, I'm, I've got four brothers, and as a matter of fact, this morning the church I was at, my youngest brother is working there as the youth pastor, uh, just a, a couple hours from here. Uh, my second brother, Brian, is the associate pastor. And then I have two other brothers who are in the medical field, but they're also lay preachers and uh, very involved in the ministry at my dad's church. And I'm thankful for that. And uh, I am certainly thankful uh, that uh, we have been blessed with a family full of preachers. It does not, listen, by any means make us any greater of Christians. It doesn't make us any better than anybody else. Uh, I, I don't want to even come across that way, but I do want to take the time to thank the Lord for my family. Somebody said one time, well, I didn't have the... Uh, the upbringing you did. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. You know, one of the great things about uh, wherever you're at in life is you can. You may not have been brought up in a Christian home, but you know what? You can start a godly heritage. And you can determine that with, with God's help, you're going to raise your family to serve God. And you're going to do your best to reach your children and your grandchildren. And uh, somewhere along the way, uh, our family, somebody determined they were going to live for God. And uh, they passed on the things of God's Word uh, to us. And I'm so thankful for that. And what a blessing it is to be here tonight. My first time uh, to be in Rock Falls. I drove by here the other day. Uh, I was on the interstate heading to Iowa. and uh, So I drove by here. And uh, But what a blessing it is to be here. And uh, I'm glad you're here on a Sunday night. And I know 
You came for the preaching and not for the food. Amen. Oh, I mean, I know you came for the food. I get confused on that. Amen. And I know why I came. Amen. For the food. But hopefully we'll give you something spiritually and then we'll get down and eat something physically. And I'm looking forward to that. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Kings chapter number 18. 1 Kings chapter number 18. And let's look over there tonight. And I want to give you something, hopefully it'll help to you. A very familiar story in the Bible in the Old Testament about a man... Uh, by the name of Elijah, he was a prophet, a man of God, and God used him in a great way. Somebody says, if you could have anything you want, what is it you want? What is it you desire? What are your goals in life? And I would say, personally speaking, I want my family to be saved and sold out for God. Uh, I have a great desire to see my four boys saved and serving God. I want to see them living for God this summer uh, at youth conference, the same youth conference I surrendered to preach at. Our oldest son, Jordan, surrendered to preach and uh, preached during the Preacher Boy competition. And man, he got out there and preached. And, and uh, through the whole thing, he didn't, he didn't stammer. He didn't, uh, and, you know, he didn't, I mean, he preached, did a great job. And I thought, just as I told him with golf, if he gets better than me, that he's not allowed to do it. Amen? And uh, he's already about to pass me up in preaching. And he certainly has already passed me up in golf. One time we were playing, I'll share this real quick. I think it's funny. We were playing, he was five years old, and we were playing at this, uh, this camp meeting I was at, and they took the men out golfing, and I took Jordan along, and Jordan's had clubs for, for, for since he was a baby, but I wasn't going to let him take them because I knew he'd want to play, and this was for the men. And uh, we're out there, and it's a little two man scramble. We got on a par three hole. He was out, I'm sorry, he was six years old at this time, and we got on a par three hole, 140 yards, and a par three means you got to make it in three tries. And me and this guy were hitting together, and that meant whoever had the best ball, we could use that one for the next one. And me and this guy, we got a five on that hole. Well, while we were there, the preachers were like, let Jordan try We want to see him hit. Well, all we had was my clubs, way too big for him. And he took that driver and he hit it about 70 yards down the middle of the fairway. And he took the iron and he, and he chipped it up right about four feet from the cup. And he putted it in and he got a par. <laughs> and me and this other guy got a five. Amen. And I asked if they'd let us use his score and they said no. And I told Jordan if he did that again and embarrassed me like that, he would never play golf again. <laughs> Amen. And I'm teasing. I don't know about you, but it's wonderful uh, to see your children grow up. They grow up fast. Amen. But I'm thankful for my children. Somebody says, what do you want? I want to see them sold out. Somebody says, what do you want as a pastor? I would say I want to see fullness and faithfulness in the flock of God. What a blessing it is. What encouragement it is to the pastor when people are here every time the doors open. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. What a blessing that is. But listen, you're not just being faithful to the church and the pastor, but you're showing your faithfulness to God. And I want to see faithfulness with God's people. Not just faithfulness in church, but faithfully serving God every day of their lives. Somebody says, what do you want as a preacher? And I would say, I want the fullness and the power of God. I want His breath on our preaching, on our witnessing, and everything we do. Listen, I want God to use us in a great mighty way. We look here at 1 Kings chapter number 18, and I believe that we can read a story that I think would help us as a nation, would help us as churches, would help us as Christians, if we would have the kind of faith this man had. Look at 1 Kings 18. We'll begin reading in verse number 30. And uh, the Bible says, 1 Kings 18, verse 30, And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. All the people came near unto him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. 
And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bullock in pieces and laid them on the wood and said, Fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And he said, Do it the second time. And they did it the second time. And he said, Do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran round about the altar and he filled the trench also with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that Thou art God in Israel, and that I am Thy servant, and I have done all these things at Thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that Thou art the Lord God, that Thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces And they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And Elijah said unto them, Take the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they took them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. Now, Lord, I pray You'd meet with us tonight. Fill us with Your power. Speak to hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. We read this story, this passage of Scripture. The Bible tells us Elijah has gotten to a place in the nation of Israel where there are people bowing down to false gods and false idols. They're worshiping the God, the false God of Baal. And we read how this, these people, this is God's chosen people, the nation of Israel, how they're now serving false gods. And Elijah comes on the scene and he gives a challenge to the false prophets of Baal. He said, let's set up two uh, altars of sacrifice and, and you do your best to get your God to bring fire down on this sacrifice. And then he said, I'll call unto my God and see if He brings fire down. And we read this story how these, uh, began to, these false prophets began to cry out to Baal and began to beg for Baal to do something. And earlier in this Scripture, the Bible says Elijah even began to mock him a little bit, to begin to tease him a little bit and said, maybe your God's asleep. Why don't you cry a little louder? And they began to cry louder. They began to cut themselves. And sure enough, still nothing happened. Elijah, it was his turn. He stepped up on the scene and he began to pray to the one true living God. And all of a sudden, the fire fell and it consumed the sacrifice. And at the end of the story, we read the people bowing down and proclaiming the Lord, He is God. Now I read this story and I think much about our nation today. We're living in a day and time of trouble. I love America. I am thankful for America, but I don't think I'm not thankful for all the things that's happening today. We're living in a day and time where people are forgetting God and we're forgetting, listen, the goodness of God and the greatness of God. And we're becoming a people that's self-dependent. We're relying on ourselves and we're forgetting, listen, without God we're in trouble. Without God we're nothing. And people are saying we don't need God and we've pushed God out of our school. And we push God out of our public places and we push God out of our homes. And many churches today are pushing God out of our churches and they're saying we've got our own way to worship. And we're living in a day and time where just in this day and time people are bowing down to false gods. They're bowing down to the gods of money and the gods of fame. And on and on I could go. And we're living in a day and time where just like in this day and time that we read about in Elijah's day, we're in need of the fire falling again. That is, we need to see God move again. Again, as he once did. I remember as a kid hearing my grandfather share stories of great revivals. And I've heard my dad share stories of great revivals. 
But I think in this day and time, listen, this generation needs to see God move again. We're needing to see God do something again. We're needing to see the fire of God fall again. If America is going to turn back to God, if we're going to turn around, listen, if we're going to, if we're going to see great things happen, it'll be because God's people get back on their knees and we have a revival of turning back to God. And I say tonight, listen, we're in need of, of, of seeing the fire of God fall again. I'm not talking necessarily about a physical fire, although that's what happened in this story. But I'm talking about seeing the power of God move in such a way that the people around us would begin to recognize that the Lord, He is God. There is only one true living God. He's in the form of three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But listen, there is only one true living God. There is only one who can save, and that's Jesus Christ. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man come to the Father but by Me. Listen, there's only one way to get to heaven. That's through Jesus Christ. And we're in need of the fire falling again. You say, how are we going to get the fire to fall? Let me give you a couple things tonight and we'll be done. First off, we notice here in this chapter, Elijah called the people together. In verse number 30, the Bible says, And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. By the way, the church today needs to hear the call to come together. That is, as a local assembly, hey listen, we ought to come together in unity. This church ought to work together in unity. You ought to work with one another in this church. Listen, a church divided will not stand against Satan. Now I realize this is a relatively young church, but can I say, listen, if you're going to be the right kind of church, a growing church, a church that's a healthy church, you're going to have to be a church that works together. That's why you'll find in the Bible, and you'll hear sometimes people refer to other Christians as brothers and sisters in Christ. Listen, the church is like a family. We're all part of the family of God if you've been saved. How important it is we work together, we strive to work together in unity. Hey, there ought to be unity, but then we see uh, we ought to have uh, we ought to work together in unction. In other words, in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. If we try to do the work by ourselves, we'll be in trouble. We need the power of the Holy Spirit of God working in us and through us. Then we need to work together in our utterance, in our soul winning, our preaching, our proclaiming the Word of God. The work of unity is a daily work. Hey, the Bible says in the New Testament they were daily in one accord. We've got to work together. We've got to stay after it. Can I say tonight, we're on the same side. If you've been saved, we're on the same side and we don't need to be fighting against each other. We're not here to war with one another, but we're here to serve God. Listen, and we must work together. Listen, this church isn't about you. My church isn't about me. It's about the Lord. It's about us bringing honor and glory to Him. We see He called the people together. But then we notice second off, we see Elijah constructed the altar in verse number 32. The Bible says, when the stones, With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. When I think about the altar, I, I can't help but think, boy, we, we've got some altars that, that are broken today that need to be repaired. I think about the marriage altar. We live in a day and time where homes are on the rocks. Homes are in shambles. True fathers can't be found. They're neglecting their job. Mothers are no longer around. They're abandoning their children. Kids are on their own today. They have no respect for their elders. And often we see, even in churches just as it is in the world, our divorce rates are up. Families are falling apart. And you know what? Listen, understand this. That's the devil's work. He's doing His best to destroy our homes. He's doing His best to try to run and wreck our marriages. Listen, He wants to run and wreck every home. He doesn't like 
what what he sees when people strive to put their home in order as the Word of God teaches. And he's doing his best to destroy our homes. Husbands have neglected their responsibilities. The Bible says husbands are to love their wives. I heard the guy one time say, well, I told her I loved her when I got married. If anything changes, I'll let her know. That's not love. Amen. Show her you love her. Tell her you love her. Amen. Provide for their wives. Wives are taking over the husband's responsibilities. They're running the homes and they're running their husbands. And We're living a day and time where things are out of order. Hey, listen, uh, no doubt husbands are to be the head of the home. Wives are to be the heart of the home. Children are the hope of the home. And grandparents are the heritage of the home. Listen, God has an order that He set out. And oh, how important it is that we repair the marriage altar. By the way, I'm not preaching. If anybody here has been divorced, I'm not against you tonight. Listen, that, that's not why I'm preaching this. But I think, listen, far too long we've let the devil have his way in our homes. Boy, we've got to get our marriages back together. I think about repairing the altar. I think about repairing the family altar. All oh, we need to get back to families having prayer time in their homes. By the way, it can keep a family together. You know, every, every family ought to strive to pray together. Get back to reading God's Word as a family. It can make or break the home. We've got to stay close to God. Listen, if we're going to have success in our families, we've got to put God first. I remember when I was in college, somebody preached and said marriage is kind of like a triangle. you got God here and the husband and wife here. And the closer they get to God, the closer they get to each other. Listen, if we're going to have a successful marriage, if we're going to have a successful home in God's eyes, we've got to put God first. We see He called the people together. We see He constructed the altar. Then we notice thirdly, He covered the altar with sacrifice. In verse 33, the Bible says, And He put the wood in order and cut the bullock in pieces and laid them on the wood and said, Fill four barrels of water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. My grandpa used to say, The fire of God will never fall on an empty sacrifice. An empty altar. Can I say this? God desires sacrifice. God delights in sacrifice. God deserves sacrifice. You know what? We ought to give Him our time. We ought to give Him our talents. We ought to give Him our treasures. He deserves the best that we have. Our time ought to be about putting Him first. The Bible says it like this, Seek you first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these other things shall be added unto you. And He goes and lists all the things that He'll give to us when we seek Him first. Hey, our time belongs to God. Our talents, however many you have, listen, they belong to Him. If you have a talent, listen, you ought to use it for the Lord. If you can sing, you ought to sing for the Lord. If you can play an instrument, you ought to play an instrument for the Lord. If you can teach, whatever it may be, listen, you ought to use your talents for the Lord. Our treasures. You know, you realize everything we have is because of Him. And to be truthful, all the money we have, it's really not ours, it's His. We ought to be willing to give to Him what belongs to Him. Somebody says, well, I, I I try to do my best and it seems like I've made sacrifices and I've done things that nobody's noticed. A preacher friend of mine was telling me one time he had a lady who had taught in her church Sunday school for years and all of a sudden, several weeks, she didn't show up. And he said, I realized she wasn't there and he said, I decided to go visit her. And he said, I got over to her house and he said, I, 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 I've noticed you hadn't been there. just want to check on you. And she said, well, I've been very upset. And he said, you're upset? What for? And she said, well, to be honest... I'm upset because you've never one time thanked me for being a Sunday school teacher. And he said, you know what, I apologize. He said, I didn't realize that. He said, I should have thanked you. He said, and I should have told you I appreciate you. He said, I should have. He said, but I didn't realize. 
She said, you didn't realize what? He said, I didn't realize you were doing it for me. I thought you were doing it for the Lord. Somebody says, boy, nobody notices what I'm doing. Can I say nothing escapes the eyes of God? He always sees every effort we make. Listen, you've never sacrificed anything that escapes His eyes. It, listen, will be worth it all for you to give your best to God because He will bless you for it. When you give, listen, He sees it and He will bless you for it. And there's no work, no matter how small or how insignificant it may seem to others, there's no work, listen, that God doesn't notice. He deserves our best. Then we notice this fourth thing. We notice Elijah called on the Lord to do what Elijah could not do. He called on the Lord to do what he could not do. We see in verse 36 and verse 37, he calls on the Lord. And we see the Bible says the fire fell. Now by the way, this is a pretty amazing thing that happened. Sometimes I think we read the Bible and, and we think it's just another made up story. This is something that actually happened. The Bible says the fire fell. And what an amazing thing that took place. And by the way, it might be interesting to see what we can do, but it's always amazing and it's awesome and it's wonderful to see what God can do. Listen, when we step back and we let God work and we see Him do some amazing things, one of the verses in the Bible says it like this, He can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. I can ask a lot. I can even think a lot. But the Bible says He can do above that. It's amazing when God works. We see the fire possessed and it penetrated. It prevailed over everything. The Bible says that He had them pour 12 barrels of water, but the water was no obstacle. The fire went right on the sacrifice. The wicked prophets of Baal was nothing. Hey, by the way, listen, the fire was not sent to glorify Elijah. Sometimes you got to be careful. You'll see some preachers on TV and they're only there to get glorified and to get praise and it's all about them. Listen, this didn't happen to glorify Elijah. It happened, listen, so that people would understand there's a true living God who's able to do the very things that man cannot do. We may sometimes get credit or complimented or congratulated for our work, but wisdom always reminds us without the Lord, we're nothing. We see Elijah... Called on the Lord and man, what an amazing thing happened. The fire fell. But then we notice this last thing here. Elijah cleansed the land of the wrong influence. Look at verse 40. Elijah said unto them, Take the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they took them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. Now, by the way, somebody says, Boy, the Bible is kind of a boring book. Are you kidding me? <laughs> this is the preacher, and they're killing somebody. Amen. I'm glad I didn't go to his church. Amen. Uh, you've not been living for God. We're going to take you to the brook and slay you today. Amen. What an amazing thing. But you know what? Elijah got rid of the wrong influence. Now, by the way, listen, you might not be able to rid the land of the junk around us. We may not be able to get rid of all the junk in America, but can I say we can clean our hearts, we can clean our homes, and we can clean the house of God. Listen, there's areas, uh, these areas far too long have been filled with sin. And boy, it's time to get, out, get rid of them. It's time to make sure our hearts are right with God. It's time to make sure our homes are right with God. To make sure our churches are right with God so the fire can fall again. I have the privilege. I, I live in Tennessee. And I don't know. I think this is pretty rare. I, I, I'm pretty sure it's pretty rare. But I have the privilege every month of preaching in about six public schools. I'm able to go into them. Two of the public schools, the entire school, the teachers, everybody sits in. I preach whatever I want. i got about 30 minutes. And I get up there and I just preach away. So I'm nice about it. I don't get mean or anything, but I get up and preach. Uh, back in January, I started the year with preaching on creation. <laughs> and uh, what a blessing that was right there in our schools. 
the school system uh, that says you you know you can't teach on creationism. Uh, one of the blessings in Tennessee, I was telling your pastor uh, last year, they passed a law that you have to teach creationism as well as evolution. What a blessing, Amen. We get to preach in these public schools and it's amazing as we go in there and God's done some amazing things and opened some doors. But as I go in there, I can't help but I think about most of our schools today and most of our kids have no idea the true history of this nation. We even now, whether you like them or not, I'm not here to preach politics, but we even now have a president that says we're not a Christian nation and he may be right. We've gotten pretty far away from it. But it's amazing if you study our past... And so much of, uh, of our foundation was, was created upon biblical principles. We had a, a morality about us as a nation. And I believe one of the reasons God blessed us is because we were a people that our model was in God we trust. Yeah. Not in us we trust, not in government we trust, but in God we trust. And I look at that and I look at the young kids and I look at the children in here tonight and, and I'm reminded of a verse of Scripture in Psalm 78 where there was a generation in the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. This is the people that God brought across the Red Sea on dry ground. The people that God fed in the wilderness. All that He did, there was a generation of Ephesus that, that rose up that knew not the Lord. And I read that and I think about our day and time in which we're living. And there are many today who don't know anything about God. Just the other day, my dad in Arkansas shared a story of how, how he went to visit a lady in the hospital who lives there in Arkansas. There's Baptist churches on every corner and she didn't know anything about God or anything about Jesus Christ. She didn't know anything about the Bible. And I think about that and I think how sad there might be a generation that, that would rise up in this nation that knew not the Lord. And I realize today, listen, we're in desperate need of seeing the fire of God fall again. You know what? This generation needs to see something genuine and something real. They're, they're, not, looking, they're not looking for people that claim to be Christians but live like the world. <laughs> you know, I do believe as Christians we ought to be different from the world. Probably one of the best ways we can be different is just our attitude. Yeah. It's sad. I, I was telling the church this morning, or, or I was telling somebody after church this morning, we were talking about neighbors, and I told them, I said, there, there's some lost people I'd rather live next door to than some Christians I know. Amen. Because they're more friendly. Amen. There, there are some Christ, so-called Christians, saved people, who, man, their spirit is so ugly. Their attitude is so hateful. Can I say, listen, we're in, we're in desperate need of, uh, of seeing God do something again that revival might break loose. That this generation may see how powerful our God is. At the end of the day, it won't be so the church gets glory. It won't be so the preacher gets glory. It will be so that God will get all the glory and honor praise and people will go back to saying, the Lord, He is God. We're in need of revival. We need His blessings. We need Him to work. I believe the only thing that can stop God from doing this kind of work is us. I have no doubt I believe God wants to send a revival. I have no doubt I believe God wants to do a work. I believe He wants to do a work right here in this church. And what a blessing already how God has been moving and blessing and meeting the needs. But I believe He has so much more if we'll not get in His way. We must get rid of the sin. And we've got to learn to seek Him. Hey, listen, I want to challenge you tonight. Pray for the fire of God to fall again. Might we ask God to do such a work that this generation that's raising up 
will declare the Lord, He is God. Elijah stood before all these people in an unpopular time. It wasn't God that was being served. It was the false prophets of Baal. He stood in a day and time where, where many didn't care about the things of God and he said enough is enough. And he called on God to do what only God could do. And the fire fell and revival took place in the nation of Israel. But we get serious about seeing God move in such a way that we'll get on our knees again and say, Lord, help us to get rid of the sin in our life. God, help us to see You move once again. Lord, would You do something so real and so genuine in our church and in our hearts and in our homes that the people around us would recognize and the God they serve, that's the true living God. The Lord, He is God. Lord, I pray You blessed tonight. Thank You for this time that we have together. Thank You for these people, their attentiveness. Lord, I pray that You would just work in hearts. I pray You bless this time of invitation. Lord, I pray You'd help us just to be be faithful and be mindful of what you'd have us to do tonight. Pray you bless in Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes closed, just a moment, let me ask a couple questions. Let me say, Preacher, if I died today, no doubt about it, I know I'm saved, I know I'm going to heaven. If you know that tonight, would you slip your hand up for a moment? Nobody's looking around. Just slip it up and back down. I know I'm saved. You can put it up and down. Thank you. Thank you. I wonder tonight, listen, before we can see revival, before we can really move on in our relationship with God, we, we've got to have a relationship with Him. We've got to have a time in our lives where we've accepted Christ as Savior. And I wonder if somebody here tonight say, you know what, I'm not even for sure that I'm saved. If I die, I don't know where I'd spend eternity. I don't know about any of that stuff. Preacher, I'd like to know it. Listen, I'm not coming to you. I promise I'm not embarrassed you for anything in the world. Nobody's looking around. All I want to do is pray for you. I wonder if somebody would slip their hand up and say, I'm not for sure that I'm saved, but would you pray for me? Just put it up back down. Nobody's looking. Alright, is there another? Pray for me. I don't know that I'm saved, but I'd like to know it. Do you know the greatest decision you'll ever make is the decision to trust Christ as Lord and Savior? The greatest day of my life was the day I gave my heart to Christ. Far greater than the day I got married, although I'm so thankful for that. That was the second greatest day. The day my children were born, wonderful days, but the greatest day was when I settled in my heart my relationship with Christ. And on that day, the Bible says, when I gave my life to Christ, my name was written in the Lamb's book of life, and that promised me heaven as my home. You hear you're not saved, I encourage you. Listen, don't leave this place without knowing. If you're a man, we'll have a man show you from the Bible. Lady, listen, we'll have somebody show you from the Word of God how you can know for sure. It's not just our Word. It's not what we're saying. It's what the Bible teaches. How many say, preacher, I'm saved, but oh, God spoke to my heart. I want to see revival tonight. That's my prayer. Would you slip your hand up and say, I'm praying for revival. Thank you. Thank you. I see those hands. Can I challenge you tonight? In just a moment, we're going to sing. If that's your heart's desire, don't leave this place without asking God for it. Would you, would you mind to pray and ask God to send a revival? If not to this nation, if not to this city, at least to your heart and to your home and maybe to this church, would you ask God to bring revival to your heart? Lord, we see the hands, you know the hearts. Bless the invitation, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.